This is the God in All Things podcast, rooted in Ignatian spirituality and seeking the presence of God in the everyday. Over the course of this week, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, as Lent comes to a close, I'm going to share with you a three-part mission I gave last month at St. Anne's Church in Marietta, Georgia. The series was called Cultivate Your Faith, Dig Deep and Bloom. Since they were a church run by the missionaries of La Salette, you'll hear references to Our Lady of La Salette, and each of the three talks covers the La Salette themes of prayer, penance, and apostolic zeal, though there's plenty of Ignatian spirituality throughout. This first talk is on prayer. As Father Ray <laughs> mentioned, um, I was a Jesuit for, for nearly three years studying for the priesthood. And the call came uh, pretty unexpectedly, unexpectedly for me one day when I was perusing a uh, Jesuit vocation site um, for some reason. And this was a time in my life where I was rapidly growing in my faith. Uh, I had a girlfriend who went to a non-denominational church. She was very much alive in her own faith and uh, her own spirituality. So there's this time of growth for me. But I always figured I'd get married. Uh, so this calling was not only a surprise to my family, but also to me. There's a story of, uh, of the parents who wanted to find out what their new, ch- new child's future would be. So they, one day after Mass, they went to their parish priest and you know, asked his advice and what they should do. And he said, well, put, put before him uh, a Bible, a dollar, and a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> and if he takes the Bible, well, he'll be a priest. And if he takes the dollar, well, he'll be a banker. And if he takes the bottle of whiskey, well, he'll be a bum. <laughs> so they followed the priest's, albeit bad, advice. And they put those three items before the child. Well, the next week they went back to the church and the priest said, well, how did it go? And they said, well, we put the items before, before him, the, the Bible, the dollar, and the bottle of whiskey, and he took all of them. <laughs> what does that mean? Ah, the priest said, a Jesuit. <laughs> So my time in the Jesuits was amazing. (laughs) Uh, You know, I lived some of the year in the novitiate in Syracuse, uh, and I worked for a food pantry and also uh, some time in a Catholic primary school. I spent some time, uh, a summer, in a Spanish immersion program in Cochabamba, Bolivia, several weeks at a parish and school in Kingston, Jamaica and then some time as a hospital chaplain at uh, Georgetown Hospital in D.C. So these ministerial ministerial experiences were amazing, and they taught me quite a lot. But what was the most profound learning from my time in religious life was learning how to pray. Now, before I entered the Jesuits, I probably would have told you that I know how to pray. I could certainly tell you that I said my prayers well, religiously. I remember as a young person when I 
got in bed and I was tired and I just kind of wanted to get to sleep. So I would rush through my prayers. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be the name of the King. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed you. I could say my prayers, I could rattle through them pretty well. Um, and this is how all of us start. Right? We need to. Right? We need to develop a pattern of prayer that's going to set us up for a lifetime relationship with God. Even Jesus did this when he taught his disciples the Our Father, a prayer that Christians have been praying for over 2,000 years. When Mary appeared to two children in La Salette, France in 1846, one of the things that she told them was to pray well, emphasizing the Our Father and Hail Mary. But what does it mean to pray well? Is it being a good Catholic and saying our prayers and going to Mass? That's what I was taught. But Mary tells the children to pray even if you only say an Our Father and a Hail Mary. Even if it's the minimum, the foundation. Now, religious life didn't teach me how to pray formulaic prayers, though that was part of it, but it helped me move and grow beyond that to expand my definition of prayer from saying words and asking for things to a deep, intimate, loving relationship with God. St. Ignatius of Loyola, who founded the Jesuits, said that we can speak to God as we speak to a friend. He even encourages us imagining sitting next to Jesus and just chatting with him. Prayer for Ignatius was an encounter with God, an encounter with a God who desires closeness, intimacy with us. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel says that God may be of no concern to humans, but humanity is of much concern to God. Prayer opens us up to see through God's eyes. When we speak of prayerful reflection, we're talking about examining our lives through God's loving eyes. There's an intentionality to it, a deep awareness. When we can be close enough to God and imagine seeing through God's eyes, prayer can become wordless, silent, just being with God. Our motivation uh, for prayer becomes not some sort of obligation like it was in my childhood. It becomes a way of being. What a beautiful new way to see prayer, especially during this season of Lent, when we talk about prayer, fasting, and almsgiving as being critically important to our spiritual life. 
Now, if you know much about Marian apparitions, you'll know that quite often it seems that Mary chooses to appear to children. And her messages usually include some kind of call to prayer. There's wisdom in this. Pope Francis recently said that in order to pray well, one must have the heart of a child. There's some wisdom in a childlike heart. Jesus even said, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is not an invitation to be childish, but to do what children do well. They can be quite present to what they're doing. Their ego doesn't get in, this, get in the way in the same way that uh, it might for us adults. Now, my two-year-old daughter, who is probably tired of watching this now, <laughs> is so often present, present and aware that she notices the birds chirping or notices a plane flying overhead things that I didn't even notice because I was just so caught up with the thoughts going on in my head. Her refrain lately is, what's that sound? What's that sound? She's so in tune with the present moment. Prayer requires this kind of attentiveness. St. Ignatius is famous for popularizing the examine prayer, which is essentially a review of your day, and we began with a a variation. But it asks those questions, "What, what have I done today? How did my heart move? Where did I fail? Where did I experience joy? Where did I sense God's presence or absence? It's a kind of prayer that requires keen awareness. It's it's as if you're looking back over your day with God by your side. You're sifting through your day with God and noticing. A couple months ago when I was praying an exam one evening before bed, the moment in my day that kept coming up for me was when I arrived home from work and my daughter greeted me just so joyfully. Dada, she said, with this big smile on her face. And my wife, who was cooking dinner that evening, had just finished dinner, and she made this amazing burger with melted pepper jack cheese and avocado on a toasted bun. It was just so good. And this was the highlight of my prayer. This was the moment where I found God the most in my day, in the love of my family and in the gift of this wonderful burger. God in all things. This kind of prayer, when made daily, can bring into focus what I believe, and how I live. And I may find out that how I'm living 
may be quite different than what I believe. I may find that while I believe in the values of loving neighbor and being generous and kind, I'm living very differently. Prayer can bring these these things into focus, like glasses, except you're, you're given new eyes, God's eyes. I can't change or reconcile what I don't see. I begin to more clearly see my life with God and how I respond to the love of God. And we'll talk about apostolic zeal on Wednesday. But prayer should always move us to some kind of response to God because we recognize the the love and the gifts of God in prayer and we're moved to respond. When Mary appeared to the children in La Salette, she commented, Only a few rather old women go to Mass in the summer. Everyone else works all summer long. Kind of a funny statement from the Mother of God. Have you ever heard anyone, um, maybe at a Saturday wedding Mass, does this count for Sunday? (laughs) This last Christmas... Uh, Christmas was on a Tuesday, and I heard people complaining of how they had to go to Mass two days earlier, and, you know, (laughs) is this why you go to Mass? To tick the obligation box? Does your faith rest on doing the minimum? Now, it's clear y'all here tonight are not doing the minimum, right? Um, You're here. You don't have to be here. I'm assuming you want to be here. Let's face it. When I was young, the reason I went to church on Sundays was the donuts afterwards. (laughs) And now I'm getting my two-year-old into it. But now my faith has matured. I don't do obligatory prayer. My motivation to pray and worship is a response to the love of God. It's a response to the love I have experienced from God. It comes from a response of gratitude that when I discover that sometimes the way I live and what I believe don't match up and God still desires my friendship, still takes great interest in me, that's why I keep this Christian thing going. Not because I have to, but because I'm moved to. You know, I, I don't blame many people who leave the faith for one reason or another. When we become stuck with an image of God that sees God as an angry God, one to fear, one who will only love us if we say the right prayers or do the right things, or even one who's seen more as a, as a cosmic Santa Claus 
magically doling out blessings to some people and not to others. Yeah, I don't believe in that God either. But when I come to understand God as what John says, love, that I'm beloved no matter what, that God delights in who I am, that I'm always being drawn back to a friendship, that there's nothing I could do to earn or merit God's love, I can't leave something so amazing. You know, the reason the Jews care so much about a day off on Saturday and Christians care about Sunday is because of prayer. We forget that the concept of Sabbath is about prayer. Not in the sense of words, but in the sense of prayerful rest, silence, quiet, reflection, community, donuts. <laughs> Why not? Why can't a Sunday afternoon reading a spiritual book quietly be prayer? Or playing with your children? Or spending quality time with your spouse? As long as those activities live within God's friendship, It's prayer. When I spend time with my family, gratitude is welled up and I'm reminded of God's love for me. When I take a walk and I feel the sunshine on my face, I'm reminded of the beauty of God's creation. This is prayer. When my wife and I sat down to discuss our goals for the new year, we were reminded of what we valued and what values God is drawing us to. That is prayer. Prayer is like tilling the garden with God. There's some examining of the plants and flowers, perhaps some weeding and uprooting, There's tilling of new soil and planting seeds, watering, sunshine. And maybe you and God take time to smell the flowers together. There's a shared project here with God. And the garden is your life, where there's some breaking and mending, uprooting and planting. There's a relationship blooming. A couple of years ago, when we witnessed our country becoming more divided, there was an ad that you might have seen that Heineken put out uh, where they had pairs of people who had very different political or social views. They had these people come together and build, assemble, these two stools. And the people didn't know about each other or their views. But after they had collaborated and constructed the stools, they sat on the stools and they shared a beer. And they talked about their differences. They got to know each other despite their differences. 
and it showed to me the importance of a shared project. In this case, building a stool. The importance of a shared project in cultivating relationships. And we may not always know God as an unconditional lover or Jesus as a friend. But when we dig in a little deeper and begin cultivating the garden with him, you might be surprised at what we'll find. Prayer is the tilling and the watering and the sunshine. It's time spent with a friend. Not just at church, not just at meals, not just before bed, but always. I know someone who told me that they often struggle to find a time for prayer. It's a common struggle. But he's been spending some time doing some things that he's, he enjoys, like taking more photographs and hiking. Could these things be prayer, I asked him? Does he see his photography skills as a gift from God? Does he see God's beauty in the photos he takes? When he's hiking, does he pay attention to the beauty of God's creation around him? Does he encounter God in nature? Does he prayerfully reflect on these things at the end of the day? When St. Paul said to pray without ceasing and Mary said to pray well, this is what they're talking about. It doesn't exclude liturgical prayer or petitionary prayer. Rather, it founds their purpose on this love relationship with God. Imagine a married couple, or imagine your own married or dating relationship, if you're in one. Is your entire relationship based on asking your spouse to do stuff for you? I'm not going to ask you to give a, raise your hand. <laughs> Probably not the most healthy relationship. Are your conversations one-sided, where one partner speaks for the entire time and shares about your life and goes on and on and on and on? Also not the most healthy dynamic. So why do we sometimes treat our relationship with God like that? Don't loving relationships share mutually? Don't they give space to listen to each other? Don't they sometimes sit in silence because they're so comfortable with each other? If I'm ever taking a walk with my wife, we might chat about the various things that are going on in our lives, or we may just walk together saying nothing. There might be other times where we point out the flowers and the trees and the beauty of the sunshine. Can we see our prayer taking on this new kind of dynamic? I want to go back to this idea of um, prayer as seeing with, seeing with new eyes, with God's eyes. This idea of, of awareness. <clears throat> Years ago when I was working as a hospital chaplain in D.C., 
Um, I was assigned to a unit where many of the patients were recovering from strokes and other neurological issues. And one day I went into the, uh, the room of a man named Leroy. And he had suffered stroke on, uh, on one side and was nearly paralyzed, but he could, he could speak fine. Well, he had no family nearby to come visit him. So he, he, lay, he just lay there all day. And Leroy told me that he just he felt such self-pity in this, in this state that he was in. He lay there feeling unloved and alone, untrusting of God. Why me was the question that he kept asking himself over and over again. Why would God allow this to happen to me? Not knowing completely what to say, I suggested that as part of his prayer, maybe he imagined God gazing down upon him to maybe look through God's eyes and wonder what God sees. That's it, I told him. Imagine God gazing on you. Well, the next day I went in not not expecting much, but he told me that he, he did what I suggested. And how was it, I asked, how was it imagining God gazing on you, looking through God's eyes at you? What did you feel? And he paused, and with tears in his eyes, he said, I felt loved. It turns out he prayed this way the entire day. His prayer to God was no longer words of self-pity or lament. His prayer became God's wordless gaze. His wordless gaze of love. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus encounters the rich young man who asks him, what he must do to gain eternal life. And after the man says that he even follows the commandments and what more can he do, there's this line that says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Before Jesus responds, there's this pause, this moment of a loving gaze. When Pope John Paul II, years ago, visited the Supreme Patriarch of the Buddhists in Thailand, protocol was that before before speaking, that they sit together and exchange benevolent glances, a loving gaze. There's something prayerful and sacred about that act. The next time you're in traffic. <laughs> We're in Atlanta, right? You've got to mention it sometime. Next time you're feeling frustrated. Find someone and give them a benevolent glance. <laughs> Imagine if all our politicians began all their meetings and negotiations by exchanging a benevolent glance. Nothing threatening, but an an act of love.
right? What if? What if? I find that taking a prayerful stance with, with others opens up our hearts, especially to people who we have a hard time with, you know? We'll talk more about this idea of reconciliation tomorrow, but in our garden of prayer, we cultivate a deeper self-awareness. We see those times when our glances instead come from resentment or anger or hate, when our hearts are closed to relationship. Now, my patient Leroy found his heart broken open with the loving gaze of God. Many of my other patients who found themselves uh, broken open because of limitations of illness or suffering were moved to reconcile and make amends with loved ones. Sometimes having all that time in a hospital bed to reflect causes you to realize that the garden needs some replanting or some more watering. As Matt Marr sings, in the, in the song, The Garden, all the broken are mending, the mournful rejoicing, seeing through tears of peace overflowing. When our hearts are moved by the divine encounter in prayer, we find ourselves moved to share that encounter of love with others. The shared project with God of tilling the garden means sharing the produce with others. Pope Francis says, when evangelizers rise from prayer, their hearts are more open, freed of self-absorption. They are desirous of doing good and sharing their lives with others. This is the way of the life of Christianity. It took me a while to dig deeper into my prayer relationship with God from simply rattling through my prayers or asking for things to a kind of being with God in prayer which moves me to go out and love and live the gospel. This is our Christian pattern. We're considering uh, bringing catechesis of the Good Shepherd to our parish, like yours has. And I went the other day to a CGS atrium at St. Catherine's Episcopal, and I asked one of the catechists how they use the liturgical calendar with the children. Well, the catechist told me, we introduce the children to the rhythms of the church by talking first about the colors of the seasons. Purple is a season of preparation. Lent and Advent, followed by white for a season of celebration, Easter and Christmas, followed by green for ordinary time, a season of growth. Green is a fitting color for growth. Preparation, celebration, growth. It was a pattern that I, 
I hadn't quite thought of in that way before, even in all my years of being a Catholic and even my theology degree, I didn't, I didn't, it didn't click until that moment the other day. This season of Lent is a season of preparation. For what? For our hearts, for the gift of Christ's resurrection, for redemption and reconciliation. But perhaps just as important a season is ordinary time. That season that seems ordinary for us in many ways, where it seems not much is happening. But that is where growth happens, in the secret, sometimes without us noticing. It's where the slow work of God occurs, where we can take the seeds of Lent and Easter and let them sprout. This is what prayer does. Right? Prayer is scattering seeds. Jesus said, a man scatters seed in his field, he sleeps at night, is up and about during the day, and all the while the seeds are sprouting and growing. Yet he does not know how it happens. The growth is the abundant grace of God, creating new from our own participation in our relationship with God. Can we overdo the garden metaphor? Perhaps. And we may tomorrow and the night after. But I'm not the first. Jesus uses agricultural metaphors over and over and over again. It's what his people would understand. And so this time of Lent is a time for tilling new soil, for planting seeds. And then we wait for the rain and sunshine. <laughs> For God to do God's work in our hearts, eventually bringing an abundance of fruit. So perhaps this season is a time of spiritual assessment. Not in a forced way that stirs up guilt or an unhealthy sense of religious obligation, but an observation, an observation of our prayer, what that means for you your image of God, your relationship with God, your faith practice, what you believe, the way you live. How is God calling you to pray well, to move into a new, fresh place in your prayer? Before, before closing, I'd like to end with one of my favorite prayers from the Jesuit uh, uh, paleontologist Pierre Teilhard de Chardin called Patient Trust. And you're welcome to follow along. It's on your handout. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability. 
and that it may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what time, that is to say, grace and circumstances acting on your own goodwill, will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. If you enjoy this podcast, please do me a favor and rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. It helps spread the word about Ignatian spirituality. And if you'd like to learn more about Ignatian spirituality, visit godinallthings.com.